when I sat down recently with Dr. Cyril Wecht, world-renowned medical examiner and forensic pathologist. We put together a list of some of the most notorious crimes he's worked on. From OJ to the Mansons to John Benet Ramsey, we covered a lot of ground in a short amount of time. With that said, I want to caution listeners that the material in this episode is graphic. Dr. Weck does not hold back on the details of autopsies and some of the injuries that were inflicted upon the victims. Please use caution and go ahead and take a break if you need to, because you may find this triggering. Next up, Dr. Cyril Wecht on Meant for Moxie. Meant for Moxie is sponsored by Smart Spirits. It's holiday time and month 584 of COVID. We all definitely need to treat ourselves and those we love. My favorite gift this season is Smart Spirits, the countertop craft distillery. From dark rum to coffee liqueur and anything you can think of in between, this device takes a grain neutral alcohol and turns it into your beverage of choice. I especially love that it has an app with tons of cocktail recipes and a how-to guide. This is the perfect gift for everyone on your list. If you are over 21, visit smartspirits.us and use code MOXIE20, that's M-O-X-I-E 20, at checkout for 20% off and free shipping. Finally, a reason to say cheers to 2020, and please drink responsibly. Welcome back to Meant for Moxie. I have a great bonus episode for you today. Uh, for all my my sisters on the squad who love true crime as much as I do, we've got a little follow-up talk with Dr. Cyril Wecht, um, international um, forensic pathologist who's worked on some of the great cases uh, that we all know and love, question mark? I don't know if that's the right word. So welcome back, Dr. Wecht. Thank you for being Thank with you, me. Sam. Nice being with you. Okay. So we talked a little bit about JFK in our prior episode. Um, so I think you've answered all my questions about this. So I'm going to list off some of the things that you've mentioned or that I found in my research. You know, quick hits. Who did it? Why do you think they did it? Um, because I just think people want to hear this stuff. So in the <laughs> this one, we know who did it. Okay. Tate LaBianca. What was the like kind of wildest thing that came out of your investigations into, into the like Manson family and the Tate LaBianca murders. Yes. The uh, Sharon Tate LaBianca murders by Charles Manson uh, and his uh, sycophantic following uh, mostly uh, young women. Um, well, uh, and recently read a, a very uh, uh, well-written book that delved deeply into that. Uh, what fascinated me then and still today is how he was able to develop this cult. Although I have dealt with other cults, uh, Waco Branch Davidian, I did three autopsies on David Koresh, his top lieutenant, David Schneider, and, and his wife, uh, uh, Judy Schneider. Um, and so I really have come to learn about cults, and there is no intellectual, um, logical reason for people, uh, you and me, and most normal people, uh, to, to understand uh, how these cults work. 
but people become fascinated. Um, and uh, what there was to be fascinated by with, with uh, Charles Manson escapes me. There was nothing special about him at all. Um, sometimes someone is a great orator. I also um, was involved and uh, reviewed the, the, um, the uh, murders down there in South America where the Jones, what, what were they called? The, uh, oh, right, the, with the Kool-Aid. The Kool-Aid, right. Diana, exactly. yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Um, and reviewed those extensively. And um, what is there to say? Um, these things happen and people do the wildest, craziest things uh, in the world um, because they become sycophantic uh, devotees of a particular individual. I've watched a couple documentaries recently on the, like the Nixium cult, which wasn't necessarily religious. Yeah, the, um, it was uh, like a business then, cult. Yes. Yeah. Right. right, right. Um, Involving one of the Seagram uh, millionaire women, right? Correct. Uh, um, yeah. And, and then my son and I are um, watching, uh, I'm rewatching the Sopranos, the HBO show. And there was a, a great line in the episode the other night, um, which was, uh, it was a, a woman kind of accusing the priest of her church of um, like curating, what did she say? Curating spiritually thirsty women. And I thought that was such a great way of putting <laughs> it that I think that often the these cult type people, these, and that's mostly men, um, that they, they find a niche of, of, people who are, are looking for that connection and spiritually thirsty, I thought was such a great way of phrasing it because it's just really descriptive of yeah, that's a nice the type term. of person yeah. who, who yeah, falls into right, it. Right. Okay. Elvis Presley. Elvis Presley. I was contacted by uh, ABC 2020. Mm-hmm. And that case uh, is one that was never properly disclosed. Uh, the local medical examiner first determines that it's not his jurisdiction. Um, um, but nevertheless, he goes uh, to the Baptist hospital where the autopsy was being done at the request of the family. And before uh, the tissues are examined, obviously before toxicology results are uh, returned from the lab, he's already announcing that Elvis Presley died as a result of heart disease. It was something that was contrived, something, I don't know exactly who got to him, but you know it was a major industry and they did not want to destroy uh, the great legend of Elvis Presley by pointing out, uh, as came to be known, that he died from 11 central nervous system depressant drugs. Uh, Anything that Elvis Presley wanted, Dr. Nicopolis, who was, you know, living there at uh, Graceland, uh, anything Elvis wanted, sometimes he would go to Dennis four o'clock in the morning, play handball uh, two o'clock in the morning or so on an upper before a performance, a downer afterwards, whatever. And good old Dr. Nick would prescribe it. Elvis Presley, uh, he used to sit on the toilet for three, four hours a day. He was so constipated from all of those medications. It was terrible to think about. Uh, And that's what he died from. So that's how cases uh, come to be manipulated for a variety of reasons. I don't know who got to Jerry Francisco, who was the medical examiner, and who had no business even speaking out on it because he had given up jurisdiction. It was not his case. But obviously, a you know, uh, somebody said, who knows that we got to do this? Uh, we don't We don't want to get it out that he was a druggie. Remember, back then, you know, there was still a little bit more concern mm-hmm. and um, 
how shall I say, disdain right. for the druggies than there seems to be today when when we come to realize that so many people well, do use drugs. I mean, it's, it's almost the identical death to Michael Jackson. Yes, exactly. You know, or Prince. And those doctors were prosecuted. Right. Exactly. So, you know, interesting. Right. Interesting right. thoughts on that. Okay. Um, Lacey Peterson. I did a second autopsy on Lacey Peterson at the request of a prominent attorney, Mark Garagos, who's a good friend. And I went out there with Dr. Henry Lee, my colleague, the internationally renowned criminalist. I did that second autopsy on her and on the infant. And um, regrettably, of course, it was markedly limited because the head was gone, both arms were gone, one leg was gone, a portion of the other leg was gone, and all of the internal organs and tissues were gone except for the uterus. Everything inside had been mm, washed away as the abdomen opened and uh, and the body um, continued to decompose. The infant was intact, but had decomposed so much that we could not determine whether the infant had been born alive or not, because that was one of the theories too, that maybe somebody tried to snatch the baby from her uterus and slit her open for that. So um, then Henry and I were gonna go to testify, and I called Mark up and I said, Mark, you know, um, I don't know what we can do for you, uh, you more than you've already gotten on cross-examination of the forensic pathologist who did the autopsy. He admitted, and listen to this carefully, Sam, that as we speak today, now, in 2020, some people <laughs> aren't going to believe this, it still has never been proven where, when, and how Lacey Peterson was killed. Now, I'm not saying that for one moment to suggest that her husband did not do it. I believe that he did do it. Uh, but I'm saying um, uh, when, where, and how has never been shown, never been proven. And so Mark, being the outstanding attorney that he is, uh, he agreed. And Henry and I talked ourselves out of more prominence and more big fat fees for flying to the West Coast. But we did something that was ethical and and and, and proper and uh, wound up not testifying because we had nothing to offer. Interesting. Interesting. Okay. OJ. I think that O.J. Simpson um, was present when uh, his wife and Ron Goldman, uh, the uh, waiter at the restaurant, bringing her eyeglasses back to her, I think looking for a little bit more than a, a gracious thanks, um, uh, fortuitously, regrettably for him, happened to be there. I, I, I believe that there was a second person, and I believe it was his son, Jason. I do not believe that O.J. Simpson was able to commit those crimes inflict 17 wounds in one, 22 on the others, with blood spurting all over the place. When you sever person's carotid artery, jugular vein in the neck, blood spurts out for several feet. Where was all the blood? Where was it? They went to his home, no blood. In the sink, shower, bathtub, sewer, um, uh, toilets, no blood. One drop of blood, supposedly, on his sock, which was shown to be planted because they had anticoagulant material, which is found in the tube at your doctor's office when, when he, right. she drops your blood, uh, but not in your biological blood. Um, so there, where was the blood? Where's the clothing? Where's the instrumentality? Um, I, I, and uh, it, two people and uh, my colleagues, Dr. Henry Lee and Dr. Michael Bodden, arrived at that same conclusion, um, that there was a second person. And OJ uh, bit the bullet, uh, not that he was... Mr. Innocent, but, um, uh, you know, wasn't going to help him any uh, to get his son involved. And uh, so uh, that was it. And uh, he uh, he got off, but then uh, got nailed on the civil action. Right. 
which was only a matter of money. And then finally, <laughs> then got right. convicted. And now it doesn't That's matter. Right. Totally unrelated crime uh, because the judge felt that she was going to make sure that he paid for having killed his wife, even though he had been exonerated. Um, but that's another matter. It's interesting you say that because I've read his book, if I did it, um, as well as watched the interview that just was released within the last year or two. And more than even back then, I feel very strongly he he was 100% present um, for it because you can yes. actually... It, it, his the way he the way he writes it changes in the book when he talks about it in the interview you can see his eyes changing um he changes from like it's it, everything in the book i don't know if you've read it is if 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 and then he changes the way he spoke it to the ghostwriter even it turns mm-hmm. into and then this happened and it's much more like in the moment as he's talking about the actual night of the murder, which is really interesting to me. So, all right. Well, thanks for your input on that. Um, I know that this or in the spring I was signed up to go because, again, I'm a big fan to a symposium that you and a colleague were hosting on Jeffrey Epstein. Um, I don't know if you have a direct connection to that, but what what is the uh, what's the outcome of kind of follow ups? Um, I became that involved in that. Uh, yeah. My good friend and colleague, Dr. Michael Baden, who attended the autopsy performed by the New York City Medical Examiner's Office at the behest of Jeffrey Epstein's brother. Um, Michael Baden called me. I was in Connecticut at that time with my wife. We have a home there. And uh, I became deeply involved and did all kinds of interviews, went into New York City, um, and was on the TV program with Judge uh, uh, Jeanette Pirro, I remember. And then I studied the case at great length. Uh, Jeffrey Epstein uh, did not um, commit suicide. Jeffrey I knew it. Epstein, I knew Epstein it. <laughs> was murdered. He had a fracture of the hyoid bone, the U-shaped bone high in the neck underneath the jaw, the base of the U directed uh, anteriorly, he had bilateral fractures of the thyroid cartilage, the Adam's apple. And remember, this is what I call a lean-into case if it were a suicide. He did not jump um, he did not jump from an upper bunk or from a stepladder or anything like that. Um, lean into, like, like Robin Williams, when he, you, know, you tie something to the doorpost and you lean into. Remember Einstein's uh, energy force equals one-half mass times velocity squared. One half mass times velocity squared. So if you lean into the mass is your head and there's no velocity. <laughs> How do you lean into? Where's the velocity? Where's the force? You do not get these three fractures in the neck in a lean into suicide. Jeffrey Epstein was murdered. The whole thing, when you get into it, uh, the cell that he was placed in uh, and the background on that. And then uh, how how incredible were the circumstances that the camera in the cell wasn't working and the guards who were instructed to watch him 24 seven um, and the 60 seconds per minute, um, 60 minutes per hour were so overworked that they were tired and fell asleep. So uh, the camera doesn't work and the guards fall asleep. And that's when the suicide occurs. Now, yeah. Jeffrey Epstein, that was a murder. And I've done uh, some interesting interviews on that. And there's a television series out there, uh, two different ones uh, that I appear on 
I suggest the people who are interested in that case should should see. Great. All right. And the final one, because I know we're coming up on the anniversary of it. And um, I know people who've heard you speak on this and you have a very definite opinion on the murder of poor JonBenet Ramsey. Yes. I have an excellent book and I suggest that uh, uh, who killed JonBenet Ramsey, the people interested in that case should get its paperback, not that expensive. And uh, the revised edition has the opinion from a judge on a related matter and the complete autopsy report. Uh, there is no outside intruder. That is total, total nonsense. Uh, the outside intruder theory uh, <clears throat> set forth by the family and some of their defenders that somebody came into the house in the middle of the night uh, without alarming anybody and knew exactly where the little girl's bedroom was and knew how to go up there and get her out of the room without awaking her or her brother Burke, three years older, uh, in the next door bedroom or her parents, knew about a back set of stairs that went into the basement, knew about a room that was so obscured, so, so obscure that the homicide detectives looking for the body of the little girl at the house when they came there a little after six o'clock in the morning, did not even know that the room was there. It wasn't until seven hours later that John Ramsey, with his then best friend, who became his bitterest enemy, Fleet White, another multimillionaire businessman, took out full-page ads, in essence, accusing John Ramsey of being responsible for his daughter's death. Uh, in any event, uh, John Ramsey, who had invited Fleet White and a minister over to his house, he says to Fleet White, let's go look again. One o'clock is seven hours after the cops had been there. And he takes him downstairs and opens up the door. And according to Fleet White, he puts the switch. And before the eyes could adjust, you know, like you walk into a dark room, right. you take a, a second or two. John Ramsey was already exclaiming, oh, my God, there she is, John Benet. She had findings in the vaginal area uh, that showed evidence of that kind of um, a vaginal uh, interplay, not per, uh, not with, not not penile interplay, not not rape, but uh, I, I'm sure uh, uh, definitely di digital, uh, chronic inflammation, focal erosion at the seven o'clock position. Uh, picture a woman on the gynecological table being examined by the gynecologist, and um, the gynecologist, he she looking to see if there's anything there, and the seven o'clock position as the forefinger of the right hand that examiner goes in. Um, there was focal erosion there um, in, in the blow to the head, which produced a seven and a half inch fracture from front to back, oh, God. produced only wow. seven cc's of bleeding. That's a teaspoon and a half. If somebody comes now and cracks your head with your full head of hair or mine with my hat on uh, that I have on now, uh, believe me, there's going to be a lot more than seven cc's of blood because you're not going to die right away. You're going to bleed and the subdural hematoma, the hemorrhage is going to develop. And that's why neurosurgeons like my son, Danny, go in to evacuate that blood and re re remove pressure from the brain. And then this guy now, this so-called intruder, uh, he decides, you know, uh, he's already made it a pleasurable evening. He's going to make it a profitable one. Uh, he's going to stage a kidnapping. Oh, I forgot to bring pen and paper, but uh, no problem. In the middle of the night in total darkness, he finds pen and paper. He goes, he starts to write the note. He doesn't like it. And so he takes it uh, and he tears up the paper like I'm doing here. You can hear the crumpling of the paper, throws it to the ground. And then he continues and he writes this note. We represent a small foreign faction and the ransom demand of, and I always ask audiences, 
how much would you charge? And I pick some guy in the audience, I'd say, you're a novice, would you get 50,000? That guy there, he's in one or two cases, 100,000. That guy in the back of the room, he's done it many times, quarter of a million, half a million. John Ramsey's a multimillionaire and so on. The ransom demand was $118,000. You're like, that's a nice round figure, right? Which is exactly the amount of money that John Ramsey received from his company as a bonus the year before. Right. And then having done that, um, he leaves the house. Now, this guy with that chutzpah, that incredible, um, unbelievable, as, as horrible as he is, but just think how adroit, how skillful, how daring um, that monster was to come in and do all of these things that I have described. And he just made one mistake. He forgot one thing. What was that? You know what it was, Sam? Mm. Yeah. Nobody can ever answer that. Eh? He forgot the body. Right. Unbelievable. You just did everything. How about taking this 45-pound package, throw her down a sewer into a creek in the back of your car? Uh, imbecile. What kind of a schmuck are you? Uh, uh, unbelievable. He leaves the body. That's the outside intruder. So as I always say, when you next interview me, Sam, and I have hair down to my waist like Troy Palomalo used to have, um, my own hair, uh, that is when um, the intruder uh, who killed John Benet Ramsey will have been found. So you get the idea? This is yeah. John Ramsey, the father, playing games with a little girl who was a surrogate for Patsy Ramsey, the mother, who was suffering from stage four ovarian cancer. She was out of the sex business. And the little girl was the surrogate in this perverted fashion. Uh, um, death of the little girl was not intended. Not to let John Ramsey off the hook in any way, but it was not something that was an intentional murder. It was a rope. It was the, you don't think it was the brother? You're sure no, it was the dad? Was, oh no, no, it was a rope around the neck, making sure that the collar was up so that the rope never touched the skin. The rope down over the wrist, making sure that it was over the sleeve so it never touched the wrist. Um, and then when you have something around the neck, even though you don't apply great pressure, that can produce a vagal reflex. The vagus nerve is is the 10th of 12 cranial nerves uh, that comes out of the brain. It comes down on the neck, one on the right and the left, enters into the chest, sends fibers to the heart and lungs, controls respiratory and cardiac activity. You're not telling your lungs to breathe for you now, are you? You're not telling your heart to beat for you. The vagus nerve is doing that. And when you have pressure around the neck, then that can lead to slowing of the heart. Bradycardia can lead to cardiorespiratory arrest, and then you die. And that's how John Benet Ramsey died, inadvertently, unintentionally, uh, albeit malevolently in terms of what was going on. Right. Uh, and that blow to the head was inflicted afterwards to make it appear that this was some outside monster. Seven cc's, a teaspoonful of blood is all that was found with a seven and a half inch fracture. That is the John Benet Ramsey case. So getting back to the very beginning of our discussion, um, you asked me one of the questions about how do I deal with things and uh, and so on. You deal with them scientifically. You deal with the hard facts and let the facts speak for themselves. And in this case, clearly point out that that is what she died from, not from a bloke to the head. And what are all those changes there in the vaginal vault uh, uh, of inflammation and chronic erosion in a six-year-old girl? Not from urinating or wetting the bed, wow. believe me, no. So how do you, I have to ask this question now, because obviously you're very passionate about this. So people in your field, uh, when you have a case like, like JonBenet, where you clearly can follow the science of it and your proposed villain is walking free, 
Um, how do you deal, how do you and people in your field deal with that kind of emotionally like that? I, we know this well, is it's not, it's, well, and, emotionally is very frustrating and you can hear, hear, uh, the passion in my voice. It's not mm-hmm. feigned or forced or exaggerated in any way. How after all these years and hundreds and hundreds of discussions, um, is it that I can speak in this fashion? Because every time I talk about it, the answer is that I become so indignant in a personal and and very professional fashion, uh, I, I am outraged um, and I want to scream and yell, uh, but what can I do about it? Uh, I'm not going to go and, uh, and uh, hunt down these people and uh, in some surreptitious fashion, uh, kill them. Um, I'll have to leave it uh, to uh, the great maker. Yeah. Oh gosh. Well, thank you so, so much. We got a little thank dark. You. My but, pleasure. you know, it kind of fed my my weird hobby that I have. See, your work is now my hobby. Um, but uh, thank you. Thank you so thank you. much. It has really been to you and all of your listeners, your family and everybody for a wonderful holiday season. I thank you, you for having invited me. It's been a pleasure chatting with you and we'll talk again. OK, and I look forward to your symposiums coming back so I can yes. get my fill of in-person true crime. So thank you. Thank you, thank you Dr. Wacht. Take care. Bye. Today's episode of Meant for Moxie was also sponsored by Mystify. So it's 2020 and there's a global pandemic and we wash our hands all the time. So let me introduce you to Mystify Hand Sanitizer by Enspra. Mystify provides a protective antimicrobial barrier on the skin that is long lasting up to eight hours, even after washing your hands. Mystify is alcohol free, odorless, fast drying, and leaves no sticky residue. Hallelujah. A skin moisturizer that is formulated with nourishing conditioning oils for a skin-friendly hand sanitizer that soothes and prevents dryness. This product is available in a travel size or 16-ounce pump. Interested in Mystify or Enspra for your business? Visit enspra.com. That's enspra.com. Or message info at enspra.com today for more information. And don't forget to come back to the next episode of Meant for Moxie. Thank you for joining me, Sam Ditka, today on Meant for Moxie, the podcast. You can find more information about Dr. Wecht and about the Meant for Moxie podcast on moxiemama.tv. That's M-O-X-I-E-M-A-M-A dot TV. Meant for Moxie was produced by Timothy Ditka. Music, The Energy, by Abhisht, can be found on iTunes. Stay tuned for our next guest. <laughs>